Well, uh, we are on part four of the series we've been doing called Critical Conversations. And many of you have been here through the whole thing, and I just commend you for that. And this morning, we're going to talk about uh, uh, an unusual subject, I guess, to talk about in church. We're going to talk about the issue of immigration and what the Bible says about how we're to think of people who are from other nations. And that's a hot topic in our nation right now. And so it just so happened we had planned this message uh, about six months ago. And right now it's, uh, you know, within the last two weeks, it's been something that's really kind of blown up in our news. And so we're just going to speak right into it and do our very best to get the heart and the mind of the Lord on this matter. And I would just say this on the very front end. Uh, You know, I've studied biblical justice and God's mentality of biblical justice and feel like I had a pretty good grip on that. But when I started taking the whole of the scripture into uh, consideration, I started realizing this, this subject has got multiple sides to it, and it's a bit nuanced, and it's something where we all are going to, I just tell you this, I think we're all going to find ourselves a little corrected this morning. <laughs> Welcome to church. <laughs> and so it, it's one of those things where even in my own soul, I was like, wow, Lord, do you have lots to say on this subject, and you address it from many angles. And, and that's the thing about our God that is, uh, you know, makes him so, so unique and so different. He is transcendent. He's not like anyone else. And he's definitely not like us. But, you know, he's a God of mercy and a God of justice. He's a God of compassion and a God of judgment. And, and all the attributes of God, they're without any kind of contradiction. I, I like to say it like this. All of his attributes are all on ten, all at the same time, and none of them is in contradiction with another. And if you think that sounds like a, you know, uh, somebody who would be you know, maybe emotionally unstable... Well, if it were you or I, we would be, but God's not. He's perfect. And so he can have all these different attributes all at the same time, and none of them is in, in uh, you know, opposition to one another. It's who he is. So he's always justice. He's always mercy. He's always judgment. He's always compassion all the time, and nothing is ever in opposition to one another in his nature. And so when we're looking at this subject, it's interesting because we have to take into consideration the issues of justice, the issues of mercy and compassion, and then we have to stand back from the Word and allow the Lord to sort of direct our hearts. Does that make sense? And so what I realize is this, that in this issue right now in our nation, probably the loudest voice is our media, and that's probably where people are getting most of their understanding about this issue. And so uh, the church needs to have a voice in this matter, and we need to speak with clarity and with truth from the Scripture. Can I get a better amen? amen. All right. Got to make sure we're all in the same room. I'm with you guys. Y'all are with me. All right, here we go. Let's, uh, let's go and look at the outline. Look at, let's look at Roman numeral 1. And I'm, I'm trying to be, in Roman numeral one, I'm trying to be a journalist and just report the facts. Just give me the facts. Well, many of us are aware that DACA is a hot topic in the United States right now. If you don't know what DACA is, it's a deferred action for childhood arrivals. And I explain it there um, that just a couple weeks ago, within the last two weeks, uh, President Trump has announced that this this executive order that was originally put in by President Obama in 2012, that it is coming to an end, that they're going to, uh, in six months, they are going to um, end this executive order. And uh, President Trump has also said that he's asking Congress to replace DACA with appropriate legislation that will address this issue for folks that, that have come into our country and, and DACA specifically is for childhood arrivals. It's for folks who've come into our country and they came in before they were 16 years old. They came in as, as, as children, many of them, and, and they didn't know uh, growing up in America that they actually uh, didn't have proper uh, paperwork, that they didn't have proper citizenship. I know several people and several folks in our community who fall 
uh, under this, this executive order and who have been, been um, receiving a, a certain amount of benefit from this, this deferred action for childhood arrivals. Because the way it works for a lot of folks is this. Their family came here and maybe they were three and they had no understanding uh, at three years old, obviously, of any immigration laws. They grew up in America thinking that maybe they were even from here, that, you know, maybe their family spoke another language, but they're like, wow, this is, this is home. This is where I live. And I, I, had, I had one person, they told me, they go, yeah, when I went and applied for my driver's license after I'd been here over a decade, uh, as I was applying for my driver's license, and they asked me for my social security number, and I said, well, what's that? And then they had to find out from their family that they didn't have a social security number. So they did not even know that they were not uh, in proper uh, citizenship until they were getting their driver's license. And many of the folks that are in this, this category, they, they kind of have a similar story. And so our president has removed the executive order. It's got six more months, just about, and, and asked our Congress to replace that executive order uh, with legislation that will help cover what that executive order had covered. Okay, let's look at Roman numeral two. That's the journalistic piece. I don't know if I did as good as I wanted to, but there it is. So let's now consider just more broadly the topic of immigration in our nation because there is a lot of political energy on this topic and there's a lot of opinion that's shared in the media. And uh, I will just say this, I... um, you know, I'll pay attention to when people comment. And, and you know, I, I understand that when people are commenting on the internet that some people are just trolls, you know? You, you know what a troll is? <clears throat> they, not, not the kind that lives in a cave in fantasy stories. You know, a troll, they just get on a comment section uh, of any kind of article and they just say the most inflammatory thing. And sometimes I think the trolls are just not real people. Sometimes I think what they do is the, the people that are trying to make a point, they actually pay people that, that sound crazy to be on the other side of the argument and say the craziest thing. So you go, oh, I definitely don't want that side, so I want this side. They're actually getting paid by the side that they're against, I think sometimes. But so much trolling going on on this subject. But as I was reading uh, some comments, I was watching a news report that got posted online and from a Christian, uh, Christian news source, and I was reading the comments from the Christians. And I would just say this, that I was, I was really heartbroken by what I saw. Now, if those trolls are getting paid by people to make Christians look bad, well, there it is. But it didn't sound like that. It sounded like the Christians were judging people so harshly that it didn't represent the heart and the nature of God. And it was, it was actually just grieving me deeply to see the way that some believers were approaching this subject of, of immigration. And, and so what we want to do today is we want to deal with what the Bible says, get the heart that God has, and probably find ourselves a little bit adjusted in our, in our worldview a little bit this morning. Um, I know it's been, that was my experience as I was looking at this subject. Okay, so let's look at the topic of immigration. On one side of the conversation, there's people that want an open immigration environment in the United States, even some that want open borders. They want people to be able to come freely in and out of our country. Um, and, and uh, you know, they emphasize that the United States should be compassionate because the, our nation is a nation of immigrants, folks that have migrated here from all over the world. I would imagine uh, if you're sitting in here this morning, it's very unlikely that we have uh, Native Americans in the room. I mean, if you are, that's a very, very small percentage of our population. Virtually every person has an ancestry where you came to America from another nation. I know uh, my line, we came from, like in the 1600s over from Europe. And, uh, and so you're, you probably have a similar story that your, your uh, bloodline goes to another nation. And so those that would be on this side of the immigration uh, debate in our nation, they'd say, well, we're all, we're all immigrants virtually, and therefore there needs to be a much uh, 
more open policy, even there needs to be even full sanctuary, which means protection for those that have entered our country illegally, because we need to be way, way, way more merciful than we have been in our, in our legal system. Um, of course, opponents of that view, they would say, hey, there's a lot of risk in that. There's terrorist organizations that want to send people in, and you know, there's, there's all sorts of uh, possible uh, negative things from a security standpoint that could happen there. Now, on the other side, you have people that want a very, very strict uh, guideline for immigration. And, and, and some of those folks would say, we want mass deportation of anyone that's in this country illegally, including those that fall under like the DACA category, that even though they didn't know that they were coming over uh, without proper paperwork, that they should be deported too because the law is the law. And uh, you know what? You know, we're a country of laws and that's how it goes. Now, detractors to that position, they'd say, well, that's pretty compassionless. That doesn't show a heart of care and concern for people that are from other places. It doesn't take in the fact that, that you know, people that uh, this country was founded by have migrated here. And so, uh, you know, there really needs to be a much more... Um, you know, heartful kind of consideration, a much more uh, compassion-led consideration of how we, how we uh, deal with people who, who come to our country. Now, here's the thing. On the surface, from a Christian standpoint, you kind of go, well, we want laws and we want compassion, so where do we meet? Because you can see that, well, uh, you know... <laughs> On the one side, hey, man, right, laws are laws. We need to keep the law. And on the other side, we go, well, man, mercy and compassion, you got to have that too. And I was, as I was considering this, I was thinking about how people are made. You know, some people are rule keepers. You just love rules. You like things one, two, three, four, five. You like the directions. You will follow the directions. You hate when you get in a car with somebody that's going somewhere and they don't have directions. You like one, two, three, four, five. Give me the directions. Give me the rules. Because, man, if you give me rules, I can follow the rules and I can keep the rules. Whew, it feels good to follow all those rules. And you like, you like to have a, you know, all your boxes checked. You don't like one point on the outline skipped. I know who you are. I know who you are. I know, I know what that feels like. You, wanna, you want it all done how it's supposed to be done. Don't give me letter C without talking about number one. Don't do that. And then on the other side, we've got rule breakers. People that, you know, they just like to figure out how to beat the system. They're not, they're not breaking the law. They're just bending it according to the need of the moment. Because we know it's not really 55 miles an hour. It's more like 62 to 65. And, you know, if you're not going like 70, you're probably fine. <laughs> right? And the rule keeper folk, they just can't believe anybody would think that way. You're speeding. You're speeding. The pl- I'm, I just drove past a police officer. I don't care if I'm going 65. He didn't arrest me. I'm not speeding. <laughs> the rule is 55. I know, but 65 is what everybody else is doing. We're just going to go with the flow on that. My wife and I have a little bit along these lines. She's more the rule keeper. I'm more the rule breaker. I, uh, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm five eight, five feet eight. <clears throat> uh, well, with my shoes on, I'm more than that. And depending on how I do my hair, I could be, I could be, I could pretty much be five ten. I'm just saying. <laughs> if you want to know the truth. And so <laughs> when people ask me how tall I am, for years I said 5'8". Because, I mean, you put shoes on me, and I, if, I, if I use the right kind of gel, I'm at least 5'9 5'10". And my wife happened to know that I'm not 5'8". I'm 5'7 and 3 quarters. <clears throat> and... <laughs> And she has corrected me publicly <laughs> when I've said I'm 5'8". 
She's five, seven, three quarters. She just won't give me that quarter inch because that's a lie. And we wouldn't want the preacher to lie. We're Christians. We can't be lying. Can't be breaking that rule. Isn't that right, honey? Five, seven, three quarters. She said, she said she's five, two, even though she's five, one, three quarters. But you always wear heels. So you're at least five, three most of the time. Anyway, I understand that about human nature. That certain people are going to see things way more black and white. Certain people are going to see things way more nuanced. And that's just the reality of things. And what's interesting is in our God, we have both of those deals. We have this God of clear judgment and justice, clear lines of morality, clear lines of of right and wrong, righteousness and, and unrighteousness. And then we have this amazing propensity of our God to move in compassion and mercy And see, mercy, by definition, is when somebody has actually done something wrong and you actually move on their behalf with forgiveness. And so it's interesting in the nature and makeup of God. It's not in contradiction. It's just who he is. So when we're talking about this issue of of immigration, there's injustice actually in both views. And we don't tend to realize that because people want to make this black and white, black and white, right or wrong. But let me just kind of explain it to you. You know, the Bible, it, it, it forbids mistreatment and injustice towards foreigners. It, mass deportations without consideration of an individual's living context would fall outside of God's commands for compassion. Well, at the same time also, you know, people coming in illegally would fall outside of God's commands for following the laws of the land. Uh, at the same time, and this, you know, I had to talk to one of my friends that's from another country to actually even get this viewpoint. But I, I was talking to somebody recently, and I said, you know, it just seems like on the one side there's mercy, and on the other side there's this harsh judgment. And, and she said to me, whoa, 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 you need to think this through a little bit better. And I said, okay. She said, yeah, the whole thing about inviting people freely into the country Uh, she said, uh, and she's from another nation, so she's got it really clear. She goes, it seems like compassion, but it's not always about compassion. She said, America's known forever that they've had many, many people coming in illegally, and there's a benefit to it. And it's that the folks that come into our nation that are undocumented, they enter the workforce, and they're way, way less expensive than people that are from our nation. And they can be employed extremely cheaply. And she said, if you, if you get into some of those environments, what you find out is this, that some, often they're not treated, uh, they're treated very, very poorly. And she said, it's actually, it comes off like another form of slavery. That was the exact phrase she said. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're telling me on this open side that there's this whole under, undercurrent of potentially you know, mistreating and abusing people as they come in and paying them a less of a wage. She goes, absolutely. She goes, it's kind of known in those circles of undocumented folks that that's what's to be expected that you're going to be mistreated and underpaid. I was like, huh. Injustice on both sides. The harsh treatment of foreigners and then the, in the name of compassion also the, the mistreatment of people in the workforce, I thought, well, Lord, you've got an opinion about all of this, don't you? So I'm, I'm in D under 2, uh, Roman numeral 2, and, and this is the point I need to make, and I've said it a, a time already, but let me just reemphasize it. This situation is far more nuanced than we think, and because it's far more nuanced, we have to get the heart and the mind of the Lord on this, We've got to engage his heart and embrace his ways so that we don't end up being led astray by either one of the popular opinions. We want our hearts anchored to a biblical worldview. All right, so let's look at Roman numeral three, and we'll talk about God's mentality of justice. When we're talking about the issue of immigration or how, how uh, the Lord describes that we're to treat, quote-unquote, foreigners— now, I know that doesn't sound like the, the nicest term to use for people from other nations, but there's, there's two basic terms that, that are used in the Bible, and, and, and it's, you know, primarily it's foreigners or strangers is the term that would, that would describe people from other nations from us. And so 
uh, when the Lord describes that how his people are to treat foreigners, it's part of this much broader biblical topic, and that biblical topic is the topic of justice. Now, God has a ton to say in the Bible about justice. This is a key component of his nature. Uh, he, he loves justice. His throne is established on righteousness and justice. Jesus is anointed to bring justice to the nations. And when the Lord returns, he will bring justice to every single nation. He'll make all the wrong things right. And he'll, he'll, he'll handle every single inequity that's ever been enacted in the earth. Our Lord, he's a God of justice. And so he has strong opinions and much to say in the scripture about justice and injustice. And when you read, the, especially the Old Testament prophets, you find this, that the reasoning behind much of God's judgment on the nation of Israel is because the nation and the leadership of the nation has acted unjustly. They've actually not acted according to God's justice, and therefore God is bringing a judgment as a result. And so we, in our minds, might have a definition of justice, but I will tell you, unless you've got a biblical view on this, our sort of modern definition of justice is not the biblical definition of justice. And that's what we have to consider. What's God's definition of justice? And does the way that we think about justice align with what God thinks about justice? And so I say this in C under Roman numeral three. A simple definition of justice is a judgment against unrighteousness causing a release of righteousness and equity. Now, here's the deal. Throughout the Bible, God identifies justice as judging in favor of the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, the poor, and the oppressed. Let me just say that again. Throughout the Bible, when you read the Bible, you find that God's mentality of justice is about judging in favor of the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, the poor, and the oppressed. And so right there, that would be a far different thought than many of us have on this issue of justice. Now, some people think of justice as only God's judgment, and they think of it as something that's in opposition to God's mercy. But what is, what's the truth is this, that when God moves in justice, he's actually moving in mercy for those that he's judging for. Does that make sense? So in every act of judgment, he's releasing mercy. This is who our God is. You and I have a very hard time doing that, don't we? We have a hard time doing justice and it being merciful at the same time. We, we do judgment or we do mercy. We don't do judgment and mercy at the same time. God does. And so we have to have his mentality of it. And we have to understand his activity in justice and how it actually works. Now, uh, I say in D, the second sentence there, that God's justice means the removal of oppression, for the oppressed and relief given to the needy. That's, that's really what it boils down to, the removal of oppression. Look at Psalm 146. This is probably in one package, the, the, clearest, the clearest description. Oh, this bug is like really serious. Okay, go away. Uh, did you see that hit me in the face? Okay. Demon bug, go. Okay. <laughs> Psalm 146 is probably the clearest package where we have descriptors that explains God's thoughts and God's mind on justice. We're going to need to get the bug catcher in between services, just saying. Okay, here we go. Psalm 146. I'm, now I'm concerned the bug is going to buzz bomb me. Go. Okay. Psalm 146. Verse 6. God who made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. One of the things the Lord does when he's trying to get you to understand how important a matter is, he'll tend to give his resume prior to explaining the matter. 
And what I mean is he gives details about himself so you understand how great he is and then you, ha- you understand how certain what he says is. So he goes, uh, I made heaven and earth. I have an opinion. Maybe you should consider it. Like that's kind of, he's probably got a better attitude about it than me, but he goes, I've made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them. Yeah, think about what I think about this. He says, I execute justice for the oppressed. I give food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. That's the term that would be pertinent in terms of this immigration question. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. So I just, right there under that passage, I've just enumerated the nine points that he makes there. Now that's not an exhaustive list, but in this context, he gives us clarity, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, on things that compose his heart when it comes to this issue of justice. And I'll just run through it. Justice are judgments in favor of the oppressed. It includes food to the hungry, liberating those who are unjustly imprisoned, opening the eyes of the blind, encouraging the discouraged and depressed. He calls them bowed down. Protecting foreigners, supporting the fatherless, supporting the widow, and thwarting wickedness. Now listen, that's God's mentality of it. So we need to allow those verses to stand above us and above our political ideology and allow the Lord to instruct our own hearts and the way he thinks about these issues. Because I know in the room, we've got people that would say, well, I'm on the, I'm on the right and, and politically, and I'm on, or I'm on the left politically. It doesn't matter right or left. It matters, what's the king of all kings think? I, I like what Will Ford says. He goes, I don't care if it's right wing or left wing. He goes, I think the whole bird is sick. It's <laughs> probably right. So there we have it. We have a pretty clear definition of how, how God thinks about justice and how he thinks about judging for the oppressed and what those things include. Now, again, that's not an exhaustive list, but I think that's a pretty clear explanation. All right, let's look at Roman numeral four now. So now let's just take a few passages. And guys, I will tell you, there are so many passages. I have 10 pages of, of just Bible verses that I've, that I've gone through and searched where God gives his opinion on justice. And just reading through those passages, one after another, after another, after another, it becomes abundantly clear the way that God thinks about justice. I've I've taken a few passages, put them right here, sort of distilled them for this uh, topic in this conversation. So we want to know what's God's mentality on how we're to treat foreigners. The Bible gives clear guidelines as to how God's people are to act toward those who are from other nations. Let me just read these three passages Uh, with you, and and let's just allow the Lord to instruct our heart through the reading of his word. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awesome. Now, there it is. There is his bio once again, all right? Who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. I love that. He goes, you cannot manipulate me. I'm not impartial in any way. I can't be bargained with. I'm not, I, I can't be manipulated. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Deuteronomy 24, verse 17. You shall not pervert justice due the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge. As a pledge, cursed is the one who perverts the justice due the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say amen. (laughs) Zechariah 7, verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, execute, look at it, true justice. 
Well, that lets me know the fact that he has to say true justice, that there's false justice. There's something being paraded as justice that's not. But he goes, I'll give you the mentality of true justice. Just read my word. Understand my heart and my nature. Execute true justice. How, Lord? Show mercy and compassion everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. So we get just, and that's just a small segment of the passages. That's just a, just a, a small sample of the passages. And if you read the Old Testament prophets and you read through Moses, you find, man, verse after verse after verse after verse And they all reflect this same style of heart and attitude toward the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, and the poor. And he'll use a broad term called toward the oppressed. But, But God's heart is to move in compassion toward the folks that are in those those situations. And so I say there in B, just as a summary of those verses, he desires his people to love those who are strangers. And at times, to provide food and clothing for them. In no way are his people ever to deal treacherously with or oppress foreigners. Somebody say amen. Well, that kind of flies in the face of at least one of the campaigns that were in our presidential election. And it's kind of hard to swallow. If you've thought that justice means, you know, just for America, Americans only, da-da-da-da-da. But I will just tell you at the same time that our God requires compassion and mercy toward foreigners and toward the poor, he also calls his people to follow the law. It's clear as a bell. Now, I would just tell you this. As I was preparing this message and I got all the verses out in front of me, I thought, "Woo! I could just teach this from any angle I wanted. I could go completely mercy and compassion. I could completely go legal, follow the laws of the land. And I I think probably some ministers will do that. But I I fear the Lord. I I love you guys, but I'm not scared of (laughs) y'all. And I'm not scared of God, but I fear him and I reverence him. And I'm not about to get up here and spin something just so a certain way so it, it kind of fits in somebody's political ideology. That would be bad for me and bad for you too because then you would be improperly you know, addressed with the word. I, I'm just not gonna do that. So here's the other side of it. God has a clear mentality about governing authorities and the law of the land. Let's look at it. He calls his people to be subject to the governing civil authorities. Uh, and, and he identifies governing civil authorities as, as ones who've been appointed by him. Some are like, no, no, some of those civil authorities are not appointed by God. Well, I will tell you, yes, they are. He actually says those who resist the authority resists God and puts themselves in danger of bringing judgment on themselves. And I hear some of your minds right now, the gears just turning. What? Not, you, what about unrighteous leaders? What about unrighteous uh, authorities? What about all those people that, that, you know, they're enacting injustice in the earth? Well, let me contextualize this passage that I'm about to read from where God makes those points clear. He's addressing the church of Rome. In the church of Rome, obviously, they, they had a leader, Caesar, who was essentially Antichrist. He was persecuting the Christians, putting Christians to death. They had just come through a season where all the Christians had been expelled from Rome. The Jews had been expelled from Rome, I should say. And now they were being welcomed back. And, and, I mean, you're talking about a godless leader leading a godless society with laws in place that were fully anti-Christian. And Paul writes, from the authority of the Holy Spirit to the church, you have to obey the laws of the land. I go, Lord Jesus. 
He goes, you've got to understand something. I govern through civil authorities. And yes, even unrighteous leaders, I use them for my purposes. And my purposes and my ways are not your purposes and your ways. And so even unrighteous leaders that do unjust things, I can use that for my glory. And I know that just catches us sideways because we just go, oh, that can't be. And God says, absolutely, I can even use Caesar. And you can't, honestly, you can't get more perpendicular to, to sort of God's ways than, than the Caesars were in the, in the first century. So let's look at Romans 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. Now, I know a bunch of you in your mind, you're going, that's not always the case. There have been obvious examples of leaders who have not been God's minister. They've done wrong. They've, they've done genocide. They've done all sorts of things. And, and, and I appreciate that point. There is a sort of single time when the Bible allows for what we would call civil disobedience. And civil disobedience would be this, that when you, you look at an unjust leader and you look at an unjust situation and you, you recognize that that leader is making laws that outlaw righteousness and, un, and enforce unrighteousness as something you have to practice. And when we see it in the scripture, there are, I would say, I, as I look through it, Old Testament, New Testament together, there's about a dozen times where the people of God are actually instructed by God to stand against unrighteous leadership. The clear exception that we have in the New Testament is when the apostles are addressed directly by the government and they're told, you cannot preach the gospel in the name of Jesus any longer. And the apostles, they just look and they go, well, you just tell us, is it right to obey you or right to obey God? We're going to preach the gospel. Now, I'll tell you when that passage doesn't work. It doesn't work for the kid who feels like he's led by God to do something different than what his parents told him to do. <laughs> ever, any parent ever had that conversation with your kid? The kid goes, well, the Lord told me. You go, dude, no. And then the kid goes, well, is it right for me to obey you or God? And I say, shut up, sit down. <laughs> Or do you want to be grounded for life? Or what are we trying to do here? A lot of times I hear, I hear Christians using that verse out of context. They try to apply it to every kind of situation. Well, you know, that, that police officer is going 65, so I'm just going to do that because, you know, it's better for me to obey God. I'm like, how does that obeying God? It's only, the exception is only this. When you have an unrighteous leader making unrighteousness law and demanding you to practice it. Then you can stand in civil disobedience. Another example would be Revelation 13, where we have Antichrist at the end of the age. He's requiring people to take the mark of the beast to worship Satan, and believers say, no, right? So those are the clear guidelines. We don't have a bunch of different, you know, whatever, nuances of how this works. It's when leaders are uh, enacting law that are un laws that are unrighteous and demanding people to do unrighteousness, then you can say no to it. At the same time, if there is an unrighteous law or an, an, an unjust thing in society, and, and as a believer, you feel like, I just can't follow that, and, and that's breaking the law, but it's not actually breaking the moral law. Maybe it breaks your conscience, if you stand against that law, you just have to be under, you have to be on, on, under the understanding that, hey, you're going you're gonna to pay the penalty. 
And, and that's what people have to understand is that if you're going to break a law, that you will be subject to the consequences of breaking that law, even if the law doesn't seem to be righteous to you. Does that make sense? So the nuance I'm, I'm kind of trying to cut here is there can be unrighteous leaders with unrighteous laws, but they're not demanding you to do unrighteousness. You can stand against those laws and in opposition to those, but just know you're going to have to pay the consequences. There are on, on the other side, there's laws that are unrighteous, that are demanding you to do unrighteousness. You, as a Christian with good conscience, you can stand against and not practice those laws. Daniel is a great example. He, he decides not to bow down to the idol of the king, right? And so here we go. He's going he's gonna to face the consequences of that. But with, with good heart and a good conscience, he can stand against the unrighteous decree. And so that's what we have to understand, that there's times when we stand against it with full you know, strength of the scripture supporting when a law is telling us to do unrighteousness versus when it's a law that we discern is unrighteous and we stand against it, but it's not demanding us to do unrighteousness. Does that make sense? Okay, good. Now, let's just look at this. I want to throw another little ingredient. If you, if you haven't been conflicted enough, let's just throw another ingredient, this term hospitality. So there's a New Testament term that's used, hosp- hospitality or hospitable. There's about five verses, hospitable or hospitality. And, and the, the Greek word is this, this philoxenia. Philoxenia. It, it, it literally means love of strangers. And here's the deal. God calls for mercy towards strangers using this term. He, he calls for church leaders and the church to be merciful and compassionate towards strangers, toward foreigners. It, it, it's philoxenia. You're to love others that are not like you. You're to love them. Look at Hebrews 13.1. I love this one. And there's probably people in the room that you think you've had this experience. Let the love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Now that phrase hospitality to strangers, it's that one word, philozenia. Do not, do not neglect to show love to strangers. For some, for by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Romans 12, 3, talking about believers. We need to be distributing the needs of the saints. We need to be given to hospitality. In 1 Timothy 3, 2, in Titus 1, 8, Paul gives the requirements for overseers, that's leaders in the church, that they must be hospitable. They must love strangers. So here we have it. We've got both sides of the argument, a heavy dose of compassion and mercy and love towards strangers, a clear uh, 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 command from the scripture that we're to follow the laws of the land, how do we then put these together? I think this, and I'll give some of my opinion on this, and I would just say I'm thankful that I'm not called into politics. That would be hard. (laughs) I think this, when you have somebody like the, the students that fall under DACA, and they're, quote unquote, they've broken the law without their knowledge of it. You have to put something in place that's merciful. You have to be compassionate. You have to take into account their situation and figure out a way that you can express God's heart towards those folks. You know, I I listen to Christians and they say, well, you just need to send them all back home. Oh, so you just want to plant them in the United States is what you're saying, because home is here. They don't have another home. Oh, yes, they do. They're from such and such country. No, they've lived here 18 years, and they lived there too. So this would be home. You see, you can't just, just draw a broad, you know, a, one broad cut line on something like that. You need to take into account, you know, a person's context, their situation. The Lord, I believe, would love his people to be compassionate towards folks that are in those kind of situations. Figure, so I just say this, this is my opinion, you don't have to agree with me. Figure out a way for those folks to become American citizens. That's what I think. Somebody goes, you want to make a path? Yeah, heck yeah. A lot of those guys, they've lived here, they've worked here, they've gone to school here. 
They're doing right. Yeah, I have a real opinion about that. You know why? Because I know them. We're not talking about a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, statistics. We're talking about people. Everybody say people. people. These are people, real people who really came over when they were two or five or three or whatever, who lived here their whole lives, and we're going to send them back home? There is no home. This is home. Figure it out, America. Figure out how to be merciful. Figure out how to be compassionate. That's my opinion on DACA. Well, somebody says, well, what about people that came in here illegally? I appreciate that question. People that break the law, there is a standard and a rule of law. And God's compassion towards people from other nations should be enacted as it relates to people that have come here that are, that are, that are from other nations. But, but here's the deal. We have a process by which you can come here legally. And, and then there's, there's ways that people come here illegally. If somebody comes here illegally with, with their knowledge of it, they're going to have to be subject to the laws of the land. Listen, even if the laws are unjust, even if they don't depict the heart of God in a matter. They're going to have to be subject to the laws of God. Well, are you just, are you just saying we need to deport everybody? Well, well, no. What I am saying is this, that if you break the law, if I break the law, if you break the law, we should recognize that we're probably going to be subject to that law and know that we might have to, to bear the consequences of it. That's just life. If I speed, I'm probably, you know, going to get a ticket. And for whatever reason, I get those tickets a lot. It's just, it's just how it is. I, I remember one time I was worshiping. I had tears coming out of my eyes. I loving Jesus. And I, the, I had the worship music on real loud. I was, oh, I love you, God. I'm, I'm, I'm weeping, driving, weeping. I love you, God. And all of a sudden, this, in the music, there's this loud siren. <laughs> oh, that's the weirdest thing. And I, I still love you. And there he is. <laughs> right there in my rearview mirror pulling me over. I was so offended with the Lord. I said, how could you allow that guy to pull me over? I was worshiping you. He said, son, that's the rule. I didn't necessarily make the speed limit. I love you. You love me. You were going too fast. That's his job. Is what it is. So God calls us to be compassionate which is an expression of his holiness as well as his purity. Compassion isn't break the rule. Mercy isn't always break the rule. It's an expression of God's purity. He calls us to be compassionate. At the same time, he calls us to respect governing authorities. And there are consequences if we break governing authorities. And that's where the church needs to come in. In a situation like this, where maybe the rules don't look like the heart of God we need to engage in intercession, firstly. We need to be praying for our government. We need to be asking God to move on the hearts of the leaders and the lawmakers and the governors and the, the, the House and the Senate and the President. I, I mean, really, pray for these folks. And don't just pray those cotton candy kind of prayers. Just bless them, God. Just bless them. No, no. God, encounter their hearts with the truth of who you are. Release your wisdom to those men and women that are governing our nation. We need your wisdom. Break in. I, I pray for their, their, uh, the, the male leaders. I always pray. <laughs> I pray for their wives to get prophetic words. I pray, I pray God to visit the wives in the dreams, just like, just like with Pilate. And then she comes and prophesies right in his ear. You don't have to raise up the prophet from the wilderness to come in in some sackcloth and ashes and a beard down to his feet to prophesy to the... No, you can have the wife do it. And I, and I will pray for them while they're sleeping. I say, God, encounter them while they're asleep. Encounter the wife. Encounter their hearts. Give them wisdom. Give them your heart. Raise up godly counsel around them to speak into the situation. We need your will. We need your ways. We need, God, your laws in our nation. And so we cry out in intercession for that. And then the other thing is this. People who are called into civic duty, God bless you, obey the Lord, get into those places of civic duty that the Lord has called you and enact righteous laws. 
And that's easier said than done. And that is an obedience that, I mean, it's just a challenge. I was just talking to a pastor this week. The Lord has opened a door and, ca- and called him to run for mayor of his city. And I just said, man, that's 10 times harder than running your church. I know that. And I just began to pray for him. But can you imagine having a righteous leader over the city or over a nation? You know, I mean, really having a guy that's thinking about what's God's heart on this matter and how do we put it into this position? How do we put the wisdom of God into this situation? I know a pastor, a, a different pastor, who uh, he, he was a pastor for 25 years and the Lord called him to be a pastor of a city right here in Gwinnett. And he, he is now the, the mayor of that city. And I asked him, I said, how is it? That's gotta be hard. He goes, it's not as hard as you think. I go, really? He goes, oh yeah, church people are way harder to deal with than these folks. I go, really? <laughs> he said, yeah. He goes, I'll just go in there, quote a proverb. I don't put the reference on it. I'll quote the proverb. And they think I'm the wisest thing they've ever seen. <laughs> I go, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, it's amazing. He goes, the Bible works, especially when they don't know it's the Bible. It works so well. (laughs) All right. Well, that's what we need. So the church has to engage in government. We've got to engage in intercession for the government. We have to pray for righteous uh, leaders and just laws. And we have to know when there's unrighteous leaders and unjust laws that when we step over the line of those, there's going to be consequences. That's just how it is. So we have to engage, we have to have the heart of the Lord and compassionate uh, heart of mercy toward people that are, that are in these situations that are difficult and oppressed and we have to pray for the governing of our nation to be in such a way that is in accordance with God's will and God's ways. Does that make sense? Like I said, this situation is more complex than we think but it, it requires the church to engage with it. It requires the people of God to, to get in on it. Last thought, I have a dear friend He's a pastor of a Spanish church in California. And, uh, and he said, yeah, 70% of my, my congregation's undocumented, 70%. And I've been there, I've preached there uh, many times, a couple thousand people. And, uh, you know, when it came down to this last election, this was their mentality and it, it blew my mind. This last election, there was, there was obviously a, a, a real difference in, in opinion, and, and your opinion of the candidates, you know, I understand, it, it, it very, very polarizing. But this church was very interesting to me because, again, 70% undocumented uh, uh, people, and, and when it came down to it, the people, they had all their small groups and, and all their leaders, they all talked among themselves, and they said, as it relates to this election, we would rather be deported than see the blood of, of, of babies continue to be shed in our nation. And so we're actually gonna vote primarily over the issue of abortion instead of over the issue of immigration. Man, when I heard that, I was so convicted. I'm so shallow I mean, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and again, obviously the people that were undocumented, they're not able to vote, but they were expressing their heart to the leadership. And that was the position that the whole church took. Can you believe that? There's something of God in that, beloved. There's something of God in that. And that's where we want to land. We want to land in the heart of God. And sometimes the issues aren't as clear as we want them to be, but we want to ha- land in the heart of God, being open to the Lord's leadership and correction in our lives. Amen?